Anytime a story begins, there were two brothers, you can anticipate that it's about to get complicated. The story of Jacob and Esau is one of those messy family stories in the Old Testament where resentment and distrust and sadness builds. Today we read about how the brothers are reunited. Listen for how God appears in the story. From Genesis 32. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies, thinking, If Esau comes to the one company and destroys it, then the company that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and your kindred, and I will do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant, for with my only staff I crossed this river Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I am afraid of him. He may come and kill us all, the mothers with the children. Yet you have said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted by their number. The same night, he got up and he took his two wives and two maids and eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him, so he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front and Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all, and he himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. May God bless this reading to our understanding. Are you going to homecoming? If you're in high school, you hear that question as, do you have a date for the big game and the dance? As you get older, you hear that question as, are you going to the class reunion? My husband went back to Goodrich, North Dakota for an all-town reunion a few years ago. He was so excited to see that place and those people who were so formative in his high school years. I went back to Austin, Texas for a sorority reunion a few years ago, a great homecoming. How do you decide, though, if you're going to the homecoming or to the family reunion? 
Because to go back is to remember who you were then. And, and you can almost feel it in your bones as you drive around the town, the person that you were back then. It's a moment to reflect not only on who you were then, but how you have changed both physically, ideologically, spiritually. Who was I back then and who am I now? In the book of Genesis, God tells Jacob to go back home, to his kindred, to his homeland, to the place that he has not been to in decades because Jacob has never, ever been to homecoming. And for good reason. He's afraid to go home. Jacob's family has been in turmoil since Jacob and his brother Esau wrestled in the womb before they were born. These twin boys wrestled to see which of them would be born first because in that day and time, to be the eldest son was to receive the father's blessing and the majority of the inheritance. And so the boys wrestle in the womb and Esau is born first and Jacob spends his boyhood conniving and trying to get the prime place until at some point he tricks his brother and steals the birthright and runs from the family and the homeland for his life in fear that his terrible betrayal will be punished. In today's passage begins, the twin brothers have now been estranged for many years. Jacob has made his fortune and he's become enormously successful through his own craftiness and conniving. Jacob has built a large empire that includes a large family and many servants and abundant wealth. And now God says, go home to your brother, to your homeland. And he trembles in fear. How can he go home? Today is week two in our three-part series on homecoming. Last week, we talked about coming home to our community, be it this church or some other community that we return to. Next week, we will talk about coming home to God as we celebrate 100 years of God's presence in this place. And today, we look at returning to our own spiritual center. Sometimes the idea of going home causes too much anxiety to even consider, even if the place we are called to go home to is our own spiritual center, our own interior life. Dave and I have been watching, as I know many of you have been too, the TV program Ted Lasso, featuring our own hometown Jason Sudeikis. It's a comedy about a fictitious football coach named Ted Lasso who comes from Wichita State, Kansas, and goes to Great Britain to coach the a professional soccer team there. It's a very funny show, but in season two, some more serious elements creep in. One day, Ted goes to see the team's psychologist. He sits down in her office, and then he gets up and rearranges the pillows, and then he sits back down, and then he moves the pillows again, and then he lays down, and then he throws all the pillows on the floor, and then he gets back up, and he keeps rearranging and trying to figure out how to get comfortable in her office, and finally he just gets up and leaves. And in the next episode, he comes back to the psychologist's office, and they sit down across a table or a desk, 
And you can just see the psychologist trying to get him to relax and to open up. And she's very patient with his uncomfortableness. And then he gets up and leaves again. And then in the next episode, he's out somewhere and he picks up the phone and he dials the psychologist's number and she answers and he says, when I was a teenager, my dad died. It is so hard for us to name the feelings inside sometimes. It reminds me of what the early Christian thinker Augustine said about human beings. He said, we are those people who will go abroad to admire the heights of mountains, the mighty waves of the sea, the broad tides of the river, the compass of the ocean, the circuit of the stars, and yet we will pass over the mysteries of ourselves, of the interior life. We look out there for God's mystery and wonder and beauty, but do we look in here? Sometimes we just get so caught up in the world, the busyness, the striving, the accomplishments, the pleasure-seeking, that we don't pause to come home to ourselves. Sometimes we neglect more intentionally the work of soul-tending, the work that takes place when we engage in Bible study and worship and prayer and other forms of spiritual exploration. And sometimes we simply avoid looking inside because we're afraid of what we might see there. Maybe there is some conflict or unresolved tension that we just don't want to bother with. But sometimes life happens and we are confronted with such a fierce reality that we can no longer avoid looking at our own spiritual center. Kate Bowler teaches history, religious history, at Duke University. When Kate was 35 and the mother of a newborn, she was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. In a recent interview on a podcast called On Being, Kate talks about how her journey with this terminal illness pushed her to look within and grapple with what was truest about her and what she really believed at the depths of her own faith. She said there was one point in the journey when the doctors told her she probably only had a year left to live. And at that same moment, she realized that as a professor at Duke, she needed to produce a book this year in order to keep her job. And so she had to look within and question everything. Why was she writing a book? What is the nature of hope when you have no more time left on the calendar? What did it mean to be fully alive? Kate decided to write the book. Six years have passed, and she still has a terminal illness, and she's just about to release, I think this week, another book. When she came home to herself, Kate realized that she was a person who needed to write even if no one ever read the book. The Christian mystic from the 16th century, St. John of the Cross, described a portion of the Christian journey as the dark night of the soul. All of us have those restless nights where we don't know how to escape the pounding of our own heart, the fear and anxiety that lives within the human condition. Homecoming is not always an easy journey. In the story of Jacob, he does not set out to encounter God, but on the way home to face his estranged brother, Jacob finds himself in the middle of the night wrestling with God. 
Jacob first tries to appease his brother. He sends an advance party to offer his brother the most lavish gifts. He is so anxious that he divides up the advance party into two different camps. And then he sends his family, his wives, his children, his maid, his camels, his sheep, all to the home front across the river as he lingers behind in solitude. I picture Jacob there alone under the stars, getting in his sleeping bag, laying his head on the pillow of a rock, looking up at the stars and wondering, what will happen when I go home? And then his peaceful night is interrupted. Suddenly, Jacob is wrestling with all his might, fighting off a man who has attacked him. They wrestle until daybreak. Jacob wonders if he will survive this painful ordeal or if this will be the end of him. Jacob fights back with all of his might. He demands that this one who is his attacker give him a blessing. And the nighttime aggressor gives him more than a blessing. He gives him a new name. He says, Jacob, you will no longer be called Jacob. You will be called Israel, which means one who has seen God and prevailed. And when Jacob wakes up, he looks at this place and he says, from now on, this place will be called Peniel, for here I have seen God face to face. And as Jacob gets up to begin to walk home, he notices a catch in his hip. His hip is out of joint. He notices that the encounter in the dark night has changed him. He now sees that he is a person who is flawed, who is broken, who has made so many mistakes. And he also realizes that he is indeed blessed by God, beloved by God, filled with God's presence in the depths of his soul. And he realizes that, yes, he even has a new name because there is a new life up ahead of him where his brother will embrace him. But in a way, Before Jacob ever gets home, he is already home because he has seen God and God's presence within his own life. He has seen that he is a person who is blessed, who is broken, and who is made new. When my son Connor was a freshman at Belmont, he met a classmate named Abby Smith. Connor and Abby had a lot in common because they were both PKs. Do you know what I mean by that? They were both preacher's kids, so they could commiserate about how what a tough life that had been. Abby was from West Memphis, Arkansas, and had an amazing singing voice. We often got to see Abby when we made visits to the Belmont campus. She would be singing, or Connor would be singing or playing. And Connor would sometimes send us these little clips of Abby working on a song or the two of them collaborating. After her freshman year, Abby went back to West Memphis, Arkansas and worked in a warehouse taking apart computers. And one day after work, she was jogging along a bean field near her home when she felt the Lord speak to her in the gut of her stomach and it said, I want you to be a singer. And she sat down in the dirt there on the side of the road next to the bean field, and she prayed. And then Abby dropped out of Belmont and moved to New York, and she had her first hit single. And a week later, 
Connor called me and said, Mom, Abby's mom died. It was suicide. I'm going to West Memphis, Arkansas this weekend to play the guitar at Abby's mom's funeral. Abby was like a robot sitting at home in Arkansas after her mom's death. Finally, she went back to New York, but more troubles followed there. It is tough, even if you are enormously talented, to break in to the music industry. And there was this little thing called a global pandemic that interrupted the career paths of so many of our young people. Abby struggled with her own mental health. She wrote songs. And one of the songs that Abby wrote during that period says, when you went away, Moonlight took the day. Stars and darkness all collide in the loneliest of space. Abby was hurting, and Abby was patient. She wrestled like Jacob in the night. What would it mean now to listen to her own soul, to come home to her own spiritual center, to sit within the pain of her mother's death and find the strength to sing and walk? again. Many pressured Abby. Many well-meaning consultants in the industry said, put out an album, produce. But Abby sat in the midst of the struggle. It's now been five years, and just a couple of weeks ago, Abby released a new album. It has gone skyrocketing on the charts. The last I checked, it was 67 and rising. I've heard her interviewed on NPR and the New York Times and in international music publications. She has achieved enormous commercial success, and Abby has a new name. Her stage name is Yeba, which is Abby backwards, and it is also the name that her mom used to affectionately tease her with when she was a little girl. And the name of the album is Dawn. Because when you face the dark night of the soul and you find the presence of God within, that is when the new light dawns. And Dawn was also her mother's name. <laughs> 